be seated this morning. And uh, I want you to grab your Bible. If you're in the room with us here, if you're watching online, we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And I also put together a handout that looks like this. Um, if you have not yet received one, if you want to throw your hand up, we've got some hosts in the room and we can get one to you. But not seeing a hand, so I'm guessing you've all got one already. And I want you to get that ready. Those of you that are watching online, that is available to you um, on our website. It's a download. You can pull it off of there. And uh, we're going to talk about something and try to bring together what we've been doing over the last several weeks. We, uh, this is kind of a continuation of what I talked to you last week when we talked about abiding in Christ. Uh, the end of our core values series. And we talked about the spiritual disciplines of abiding in Christ and what those look like. And so today... We're going to go a little bit deeper with that, and we're going to talk in Mark chapter 4 about working the soil, working the soil. I don't know if any of you like working outside in the dirt, but uh, I don't. I would prefer not to, and I can't make things grow anyway, and so it's not my best thing. But I bet some of you love working in the garden or love working in the flower bed, and you probably don't love weeding the flower bed but you love the result of weeding the flower bed, and you love the result of weeding the garden and taking care of that. And so Mark chapter 4, we're going to read this passage, and it's not on the screen, so you're going to actually have to use your Bible uh, or your phone or your iPad or your device or whatever, your memory, if you've memorized it. But Mark chapter 4, it says this, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. So there you go. Jesus was a teacher, and he liked to sit. I'm two for two right now. He taught them <laughs> by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen. Now, that word listen is kind of like, I don't know if you, your teacher, if you're in front of a classroom and it's kind of rowdy and you clap your hands, listen. That's in essence what Jesus did there. Okay, He draws their attention. I don't know if he clapped. I don't know if he just shouted, but he does something to get their attention. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil and the underlying, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when he was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and will be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, 
how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret thing will be brought to the light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now, to understand a parable is just a practical earthly story that has a kingdom of heaven or kingdom meaning to it. Uh, rabbis of the day used parables regularly, so it's not weird that Jesus would use parables to teach his disciples. It is not designed to make the, the teaching easier. In our Western culture, we prefer when the teacher stands up and gives us point one, point two, point three. Uh, you just tell me what I need to do, and then I'll go do it. But for the Eastern thinker, or for the Hebrew, what they want is the process of discovery. They want to experience the truth by digging it out. So parables are used in a way to help them dig and experience the truth so that it can be better understood and applied to their lives. But what it seems like at our first reading is that Jesus is hiding something. I said rabbis would use parables to teach their disciples, but Jesus is being followed by people that aren't his disciples. He's being followed by crowds. And it's really not fair for him to teach in parables because the disciples are going to gather around Jesus and they're going to wrestle with the truth. They're going to wrestle with the understanding of what Jesus is teaching and what Jesus is talking about. So it wouldn't be common for a rabbi to teach the masses this way, but the, Jesus is always trying to get at the heart of the issue. And it's, Jesus uses the word in this translation that he does this to, so that outsiders can't hear what he's saying. Jesus is not trying to keep anyone on the outside. He's just trying to get us to deal with the condition of our hearts. So sometimes we hear a teaching and we're like, well, I don't understand what that means. That person doesn't you know, make the, the teaching easier for me to understand. And so you know what we do? We just dismiss it. And we assume if they just made it plain, if they just made it clear, then I would follow it. That's sort of like the guy that says, if someone rises from the dead, then I'll believe. 
See, if you won't dig into the word, if you won't latch on to the fact that there's truth here, even though your brain can't, if you don't say, I'm going to dig, I'm going to go after what, what's here because I know who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus alludes to Isaiah chapter 6 here when he says that they have eyes, but they've closed them. They have ears, but they've stopped them up. They don't want to hear. You didn't make it easy enough for me, Jesus. And so I hope that today, as we look at this parable, that something in your heart, you may not understand everything I say. You may not understand everything that's on this page. But I hope something inside of you, by the Spirit of God, lights up and says, I need to dig. I need to start working the soil of my life. Because here's the thing. The, your problem, I don't know what it is, but your problem is not outside of you. My problem is not outside of me. My problem is the soil of my life and how much the kingdom of God can take root in my heart. Jesus teaches that this parable is key to understanding the parables, all of the kingdom. And what the, the emphasis of this story is, is not the farmer. It's not that the farmer's wasteful. The farmer, God will always be sure that the word will get cast in front of you. It's up to us where that seed falls. And I know we like to look at each of these different soils and we like to think that all of the soils are four different people, but I don't think they're four different people. I think each of us in our lives can have different parts of our hearts that are hard, that are rocky, that are thorny, and that are good. And if we want the message of the kingdom, by the way, that's singular. The word of God is singular. What we like to do in our Western world is we like to apply the principles of the kingdom to our life. But you can apply the principles of the kingdom to your life and really the kingdom would never take root because we are masters at being able to manipulate the word to give us what our own desires are. And even people who go to church all of their lives, we can take the principles of the kingdom of God and we can put them into our lives in a way that we can still be vindictive, that we can still be unforgiving, that we can still be selfish, that we can still be lustful. We can do that because the heart is deceptive. And what Jesus is saying is singular. I want the kingdom message to get deep in you. And when the kingdom message gets deep within you, it produces a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. That's when fruit begins to be born in our life. The message of the kingdom is powerful. The message of the kingdom can produce a harvest in your life. And we look at that 30, 60, and 100, and we're like, okay, great, wow, it can be big. You've got to understand something. 30 is a great crop. So for these guys listening to this message, they're like, 30, that's like the best year. That's a good year. 30 is like, woo. 60 is probably the best you would ever experience. You, you get 60-fold on your crop in this era, and you would be like, praise God. We are not only going to have enough for us, we're going to be able to share with people. This is like a banner year. So the idea of 100-fold, <laughs> it's just not possible. It's almost supernatural, if you will. And the interesting thing is when Matthew writes this story, Matthew goes backwards. And some translators don't like it. They won't put it backwards. But if you go to the Greek that Matthew was written in, you'll see Matthew starts with 100, 60, 30. Because Matthew's writing to Jews. And Jews are going to understand the hundredfold, and they're going to latch on to that. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. But, but Mark, in fact, Luke, doesn't even put 60, 30. He just puts a hundredfold. 
then he skips the other two. But Mark writes 36 to 100 because Mark is writing to Gentiles. And if you start with 100 with Gentiles, they're going to be like, this is a fairy tale. This doesn't even make sense. And Mark knows his audience well enough to know that he is going to present this to them. I actually believe Jesus teaching to the Jews would have started the way Matthew recorded at 160.30. I don't know if that messes up your theology that uh, Mark intentionally twisted Jesus' words to make a point so it would be better understood by the audience he was writing to. Um, but it doesn't change the meaning of what Jesus says. It just helps them better understand it. So the condition of our lives is what, is what matters. It's not the message. The message is the message. The condition of my heart is what matters. The circumstances of my life. It's not that it was a, a drought season. Oh, we, uh, the, the seed was scorched because of the sun and the drought. No, 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 no. It was the soil. Oh, there were just too many birds, too many birds. My neighbor with the bird feeder, he's the one that's messing up my life. The, the seed would have taken, no, the seed didn't penetrate because of the hardness of my heart. Not my neighbor, not my spouse, not my pastor, not the teacher, not the message. It's the condition of my heart to receive, singular, the message of the kingdom. And I believe, I believe that changes everything. Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You cannot earn a miracle, but effort is part of the equation. And I believe we have to put effort into the soil of our lives if we want the message to take root. And I think some of us are putting effort in the wrong place. We're putting effort in the pruning process. We're trying to prune things off of our lives. But if you remember abiding in Christ last week, John, Jesus says, if you are abiding in him, okay, if you're connected to him, if you're intimate with Jesus, the father will prune you. You will bear fruit and then he will prune you. He doesn't say you will prune yourself. And some of us are spending so much time and energy trying to make our message more effective or trying to get people to listen to our message or trying to change our children or our spouse or our, the people around us or, or we're trying to break our own addictions we're trying, with all of our strength and willpower. And yet the point of this story is you've got to just fix the condition of your heart and once the kingdom takes root, it'll produce a harvest that you can't even possibly do. It's a hundredfold. See, I put on your sheet something that we've been talking about over these last couple of years, and I'm not going to go into it in depth today, but I want to talk about one part of it because it's going to help us understand this parable, and it's the Jewish hermeneutic because Jesus was a Jew, and the only scripture they have, anytime in the New Testament you see the word scripture, they're referring to the Old Testament. Those are the Hebrew scriptures. That's what Jesus had. And if you want to understand what Jesus is teaching, you have to understand the Hebrew scripture and the Jewish hermeneutics. So if you think that we just need the New Testament to understand salvation, you're missing out because Jesus taught salvation through the Old Testament lens. We will understand salvation far better when we understand the Old Testament better. So this is not a day to unhitch it from our faith. It's a day to dig into it and understand, but, oh, it's so hard. Yeah, I know. It is hard. But we dig because we want to grow. So the Jewish hermeneutic starts with what we call the Peshat level. That's just simply, you can read the, on the surface. So everyone hearing Jesus' story can kind of get the point. 
it's the condition of the soil that matters most. That's the, I mean, there's a, a message there. It's profound. It can be profoundly applied to your life. And there is nothing, 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 nothing wrong with surface level. There's this idea that, uh, you know, well, you're not as deep as I am. You're not as mature as I am. The stuff you get on the surface level is powerful. It is profound. You can read the scripture and you can get stuff from it. However, if you've been in faith for 50 years and you're still at this surface level reading, wow, you are missing out on the treasure and the depth of this book and what God has in store for us. Because there's, there's what we call a remez. And a remez is a hint. So when, when a rabbi would teach, they would throw in a hint. They would throw in a phrase that connects to the Old Testament. And then all of that Old Testament passage would be brought into the teaching and make it full. The Jews did not have a Bible. So in order to know the scriptures, they would memorize it. And when they came back from captivity, they felt like we went into captivity because we didn't know the word. We won't make that mistake again. Let's teach our children to memorize it. So at the earliest days, they memorized the Torah. From there, they moved on and they memorized the law or the prophets. Then from there, they moved on to memorize the writing. So Jews that are listening to a rabbi teach are able to connect it to other passages. One of my favorite is when Jesus was on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're like, oh, wow, Jesus. He was like so in pain and despair. And oh, my, he's so he feels separated from the father. Yeah, all of that is probably really true. But if you go to Psalm 22, which every Jew standing around would know, it wasn't called Psalm 22. It was called Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you read through that Psalm, you'll see that they're going to cast lots for my garments. You'll see that they're going to pierce me. You'll see that they're going to mock me. You're going to see that I'm the Messiah. And even with his dying breath, Jesus is talking to the people at the cross and showing them, pointing them to who he is. But for them, this Messiah that's dying is like not what we expected. I mean, because we can twist the word to give us what we want. We don't want a dying Messiah. We want a conquering king. And we're no different in the American culture today. We don't want a dying Messiah. We don't want to lay down our lives. We don't want to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We want victory. But sometimes victory only comes when we die. Because death produces good soil. And there are far too many people that want to follow Jesus at the surface level. And they don't want to dig into who he is and work in the soil of their lives so that it produces the harvest. I mean, they'll spend everything. Go to this conference. Go to that healing line. Go to this... I'll, I'll fly to another part of the country to get somebody with a special anointing to pray. And please, do not misunderstand me. People with gifts and anointings, nothing wrong with flying to another part of the country. But you know what? Maybe it's time to start working in our own garden. Because we go there and we get an anointed teacher or we get an anointed ministry or we get something in that moment or we show up here on Sunday and, oh, give me what I need for the week, Pastor. There is no possible way. Because if it doesn't take root in us and begin to transform us from the inside out. In fact, we worry far too much about the outward stuff. 
We worry far too much about our addictions and our, our words and our language. Oh, you shouldn't use that language. And we look at surface stuff, and Jesus is like, just get deeper. Just clean the soil of your life, and the rest of it will take care of itself. And we go along chopping off limbs. Jesus said, if it makes you sin, cut it off, which is totally not what he meant. But it looks like that's what he meant, and that's easier than really getting into what he's saying. And the, the idea of these remezes, there's no guarantee which scripture. You have to wrestle with it. And the disciples have to wrestle with what Jesus is saying. And which, which one do you, I think he means this passage. No, I think he means this passage. I think he means this passage. And when you begin to put the remez together, you get what's called the drosh. And the drosh is the hidden secret in the story. Remember Jesus said, you get to understand the secrets of the kingdom. If you want to see the secrets of the kingdom, you're going to have to wrestle with the scripture. And you can't just do it by yourself. You need to wrestle in community. In fact, it's not allowed to wrestle with it by yourself because we can twist it. In fact, you've got to do it in community of people that aren't like you. The reason that Jesus picked 12 disciples that didn't even like each other was for this very reason. Because this is how we get to the truth. We wrestle with the scripture together, which is, by the way, why we have a table as our logo. Because not everyone who sits at my table has to think like me, act like me, talk like me, or be like me. But we think that's what unity is, and it's not. Then there's a part of it that's called sowed. And sowed is something that cannot be learned or taught. It's just a supernatural gift of the Spirit. Peter would have gotten this. In Matthew chapter 16, if you look in through Matthew chapter 16, you're going to find all of these things. You're going to find a surface level reading. You're going to find the, the Peshat. You're going to find the Remez. You're going to find the Drosh. And then you're going to find Peter with the Sod going, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, Peter, that is Sod. You didn't get that from any teacher. You got that from my father. And before you start thinking, oh, I got sowed, <laughs> we know what happens next. Peter is called Satan in the very next phrase. <laughs> Jesus, you're not going to go die. See, the sowed was, you're the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is the conquering king. Ah, no, 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 no. The Messiah is not the conquering king the way you think. So get behind me, Satan, because you have in, in, in mind the things of man, not the things of God. And so I put some things on this sheet for you that you could look up, you could go to, you could read, you could listen to if you want to dig a little deeper into that. But I want us to spend a little time talking about each of the soils, and we're going to do it Ramez style, meaning we're going to take the soil and we're going to connect it back to what Jesus was talking about in the Old Testament. Okay, first one is the rocky soil. I know we're going out of order. Please forgive me. There's a reason, and I'll get to it. The rocky soil is the soil that had no depth. And it wasn't the sun, it wasn't the drought, but it was the temptations. It was the hardships that caused the, soul, the, the seed not to take root. In Isaiah 5.24, this is what it says. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the Holy One of Israel. What Jesus is connecting in this rocky soil is back here to Isaiah 5.24. And what the problem is, is they've neglected the law of the Lord Almighty. You can also look up Jeremiah chapter 17. You can look up Ezekiel chapter 17. They tie into the same thing. Or you could go to Psalm chapter 1. Someone who's planted by streams of living water delights themselves in the law of the Lord. 
You cannot, by the way, that's a singular word again, law of the Lord, not laws of the Lord. Because again, we love to pick out laws and make sure we're applying all the laws, but we've got to learn how to delight singularly in the law of the Lord, the message of the kingdom. There is nothing wrong with trying to apply the principles, but applying the principles is not the way. Just applying the principles will not guarantee that you get the the gist of the kingdom. The Pharisees applied the principles, and they missed it. They even made converts. And Jesus says, you make your converts twice as much a son of hell as you are. And sometimes I feel like in the church, we, we spend so much time focusing on the principles and not the overarching message of the kingdom from beginning to end, understanding this book as one complete story of how God wants to work on earth and how he wants to commission us to make a difference. I don't think that God wants us to just hang on till Jesus comes so that he can burn up this whole planet. I, don't, I think that's a mis, mistaken interpretation of Scripture. I think creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to take their rightful commission as co-heirs with Christ Jesus, bringing restoration, kingdom come now. Not just miracles, not just power gifts. Because remember, you can have power gifts and Jesus would be like, I still never knew you. But I'm talking about total transformation of life, changing everything, changing how I live, not changing how other people live. You want to affect change in your workplace? Change you. Don't pray, Lord, send revival to this land if you haven't already drawn a circle around yourself and said, start in the circle because I need it most. The catalyst will come. And I know everyone else is the problem. You know, I know everyone's the problem. They're all the problem. All the people outside of me are the problem. No, I'm my own problem. When the kingdom starts taking root in me, (laughs) it won't matter. I mean, even in Nazareth, Jesus was able to do miracles. Didn't matter that they were full of unbelief. Didn't matter what was going on in their lives. He had enough in himself to be able to perform miracles. He brought the kingdom wherever he went. We just like to complain about the Nazarenes. Well, yeah, there's no, there's no revival coming to Nazareth. <laughs> Jesus brought it. You can bring it too if you stop complaining about who in your workplace is the problem. Just bring the kingdom. Bring the kingdom. Bring the kingdom. So these seeds fall away. That word is the word scandalizo, and it literally means to stumble or be offended. And the interesting thing is, is this is the same word that Jesus gives to John the Baptist in John chapter or in Matthew chapter 11 when John's in prison and he's confused. Because, again, John thinks, Messiah, um, uh, I didn't expect to die. I, ex- I mean, John didn't mind putting his life on the line. But now that his life is on the line, he's got an issue. And Jesus is not being who he thought. He's not being the conquering king. And so he's confused and he sends this message. And what does Jesus do? He gives him a remez. He says, go back and tell John what, do you, what you see. Well, what did they see? They saw Isaiah 35. They saw Isaiah 42. They saw Isaiah 61, Messiah. But it doesn't look like the Messiah. Oh, and tell John, blessed is he who does not stumble, who is not offended at me. That's good stuff right there. 
So it's the word of God, it's prayer, the traditional disciplines that we've talked about. It's copying the text, it's memorizing the text, it's praying, it's praying in the spirit, it's prayer journaling, it's fixed hour prayer. These are the disciplines that help us put down deep roots so that when the troubles come, when the difficulties come, when the temptations come, we can draw from what we have put in. That's how we overcome. The thorny soil is the second soil. The thorny soil is crowded out by the routine of life, the busyness, the acquiring of things. And dare I say, it's crowded out by ministry work. I mean, we tend to look at thorny soil as unbelievers, but guess what? Thorny soil can be the most busy Christian for Jesus on the planet because work for God has replaced intimacy with God. It's just crowded it out. It's busy. And if we go to Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, this is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up the unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. He's confronting the idolatries of their life. The, the acquisition of stuff, greed is idolatry. The opinions of others, self, that's an idolatry. Even ministry itself can be an idolatry. There are many people today who are, in, who are following idolatry in the form of Christianity. In the form of Christianity. It's not kingdom, it's idolatry. And we are putting things on pedestals that never were meant to be on pedestals. So how do we make sure that we're not doing that? Well, these are the presence disciplines that we talked about. The things that we really don't like to do. Solitude. Sabbath. Silence. Did you know that solitude means being alone? And I know for some of you parents, you're like, oh, I wish I could get some alone time. Find some. Seriously, find some. If you need to hire a babysitter and you can't afford it, call me. Because if you're going to go spend an hour with Jesus alone in silence, no worship music, just silence. That's solitude. Because when when you get into silence, here's the thing. You hear what's going on in your soul. When there's no worship music to mask it, when there's no Bible, when there's no reading, when there's no praying, when there's no praying in the Spirit, all of a sudden, all of the stuff that we were able to press down starts screaming. That's what solitude's for. That's what the Sabbath was all about. The Sabbath wasn't just one day a week so we could go fishing and boating. The Sabbath was about solitude. It was about stepping out of my routine to make sure that, there's, that I hear the cry of my soul and make sure that God is the supplier. Fasting goes in here. Simplicity. We talked about these last week. I don't have near time. If you want more, Go to the Bema podcast I list or go back next week because last week because this is where we talked about them. Or the practicing of the presence of God. Here is the thing, guys. Brother Lawrence was brilliant because Brother Lawrence wanted to live every moment of his day fully aware that the presence of God was with him, whether he was worshiping with his hands up or whether he was literally, whether he was falling back into an addiction. I'm telling you, the presence of God, when you come into the kingdom, it's come. You come into the kingdom. And we, we, we wrestle and we're like, oh, I don't understand why I still have these addictions. God's not with me when I'm, when I'm fighting this addiction. God is with you. 
You've got to believe, you've got to work the soil. Don't let what you see stop you. I'm not saying rationalize it. Don't say, oh, it's no big deal. God loves my, he hates your addiction because it's killing you. And he wants you to experience life to the full. But if you think that you're going to just try to prune that off in your own strength, it's, it's crazy. So you've got you to gotta embrace these disciplines. The last one is the path. Actually, it's not the last one. It's the third one. Whoo, the third one. Good, it's only 11.04. The hard path, the message is not received. And again, a lot of times we're like, oh, unbelievers, unbelievers. But if you put yourself in the, the place of the Jews that are hearing Jesus talk about this, they're not thinking unbelievers because they go to Hosea 10, okay? Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up the unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. By the way, you'll find Isaiah 58. I don't think I put that on your sheet, but that's another good one, Isaiah 58. Because until we break up the plow, unplowed ground, we pray for a revival. Oh, God, send your rain. Send revival. And God's like, uh, I'm not sending a revival until you un- break up the unplowed ground. Isaiah 58. Why are we fasting and you don't see? Because when you fast, you just do what you want. You exploit your workers. You strike each other with, with sticks. You want, you want to see my righteousness come? You want to see me reign on the land? Then here's the kind of fast I want. Loose the chains of injustice. <gasps> Christians have so hardened their hearts because of the critical race theory, because of social justice, we have absolutely hardened our hearts to a biblical justice that's actually called for more often than idolatry in the New Old Testament. The Old Testament, you will find prophets condemning people more for their mistreatment of the foreigner, mistreatment of their worker, for social justice issues. They were condemned more for it. I'm not saying that everything being promoted in the world under social justice or under critical race theory is correct. But it's time for the church to just stop saying, oh, there's that bad word, let's run away from it. Because our hearts are hard, and the reason that God is not reigning on our nation is because of the hardness of our hearts. He says, so righteousness. That word righteousness is the word zedekah. It means to free the oppressed. It means to be generous. It means to break out with goodness for others. And that's why these lifestyle disciplines are in this point. Because these lifestyle disciplines, generosity, I'm going to be generous. I told you this last week. I'm going to start double tipping for for like three months. I'm going to double tip every time I go out. And I guarantee you, you are going to have some of the worst service you've ever had. Because the point of generosity is not so you can bless others. It's so that you can break up the unplowed ground of your heart. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor. But we think that submission and generosity and gratefulness is all about other people. It's not about other people at all. It's about the hardness of my heart. And some of us aren't even aware of how hard our hearts are because, I mean, there's a little bit of fruit. I mean, look at that fruit, Pastor Tom. Look at this fruit. I just witnessed to someone this week and they got saved. Great. Praise God. And yet, God still wants to prune you. Because he wants you to be even more fruitful. And there are things keeping us from being fruitful. I mean, who are you to say I have a hard heart? I have a hard heart. I don't even know where it is all hard. I know some places. I bet you think you know where my heart is hard, but do you know where yours is? See, we're really good at knowing where everybody else is at. Where everyone else is hard in their heart. 
But this is what matters. Guys, this is, this is what breaks pride and selfishness and control and off of our lives. I mean, some of us are like, oh, we just need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. Yes, we need to pray. But guess what? If we pray, but we don't overcome evil with good. If we pray and then walk out of a prayer meeting and we get revenge on our neighbors, it's not just prayer. It's not just one of these disciplines. It's not just one part of the soil. It's the kingdom message. You got it. I mean, the kingdom is coming. I mean, I don't have to get worked up. No, just get, if I'm in an airplane and it goes, my body's going to go, oh, okay? The reaction is not the problem. It's if I go, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. I mean, in the moment of, oh, I, ought, I ought to be like, you controlled my number of days. Yeah, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? And so when you're watching the news, the oh, might come. Oh, but dear Lord, don't let the oh take over. Let's look at the hardness of our hearts. So let's look at the good soil. Can we take a few minutes to look at the good soil? I promise it'll be a few minutes because you can debate remezes, <laughs> but there, this is the one that you really just can't debate because there is only one place in the Old Testament where someone planted and got a hundredfold crop. And so I love this. I love this. Isaac. <laughs> Remember the guy that got the seed? Yeah. Genesis 26. I'm going to read it to you. I might have even put this on the screen. Genesis 26, not verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. So this is in the area where God told Abraham, you go there, I'm giving you this land. That's where Isaac is. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Remember Abraham, famine, where did he go? Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land, but there's a famine. Egypt has food. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to stay. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. See, the story that God has always been telling is he wants a people in a land to put him on display. We are now the people, and the land is now the earth. Okay? The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. And he has a kingdom of priests all over this world putting him on display. Or, that's at least his plan. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Then there's like a whole bunch of stuff where he lies, just like his dad. She's not my wife. She's my sister. I don't want to die. Ah. And the king sees that it's really his wife, and he's like, why would you lie to us? I mean, I love that these wicked kings are more godly than the people God chose. <laughs> that should tell something. Okay, so he's like, nobody touch him, nobody touch his wife. So, verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold. And we read it, and we just go on with Genesis like, oh, wow, pretty good crop. <laughs> Impossible crop in a drought. And the people, because the Lord blessed him, the man became rich, his wealth continued, and he gets kicked out of there. Now the king in Bimelech, if you keep reading Genesis 26, we don't have time to read it all. If you keep reading it, he kicks him out. He's like, you're too wealthy, you need to get out of here. They're afraid of the hundredfold. <laughs> I love it. 
And so he goes, and then he tries to find a place to land in the promised land still, and he digs a well, and then he quarrels, and there's all these fights, and there's all these struggles, and it would have been easy to quit, but he comes to Beersheba, and he plants there, he settles there, there's water there, he builds an altar there, he's confirmed to the Lord, and then look at verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Philcol, the commander of his forces. And Isaac says, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, and you will do us no harm, just as we did you no harm. And you, we, but you were always treated well and sent away peacefully, and now you are blessed of the Lord. Huh. I hope some of you are making the connection now. See, if I work on the soil of my life, at first people may reject it. I don't have to get upset. I just have to find a place to land. I just have to like keep digging wells. I have to keep working. I have to keep following the plan. I have to go where God says go. I have to do what God says do. And at some point, some point, people are going to see. Who's in control of whether or not people see God's blessing on your life? <laughs> God. Not us. If we're taking care of our soil. Oh, but if I just apply the principle, because we've been applying the principles for years, and it is not working. It is not working. I mean, we're trying to get people whose eyes are blind to see the principles of truth. And I don't know that, I think there's some principles that we have yet to even see. We have got to get the message of the kingdom deep into our heart. They will know you're my followers by your love. Not by your miracles, not by your power. Those things should be there. We should go after them, absolutely. Not by your right doctrine. Not by you being able to tell people how that that's a sin, and if you sin, you're not going to be in the kingdom. There's a place for discipleship but they will know we are his by our love. And I think the greatest problem in the church right now is the hardness of our heart. And what we need to emphasize is breaking up the hard ground of our heart, being more generous than we've been in the past, being more submitted than we have been in the past. You know, you can submit to people when they don't ask you to disobey God's word. It's true. It's actually godly whether it's a teacher or a coach. I'm so tired, so tired of parents that think their children are being mistreated by a coach and attack a coach. You are planting seeds of rebellion in the heart. Now, is there ever a genuine time that someone's being mistreated? Yes. Not every time. For goodness sake, you're not raising Ken Griffey Jr. It's okay. Teach your children the ways of God. We complain all the time, and yet Jews t took time to say 70 blessings a day, 70 gratitudes. And yet how many of our conversations start with complaint? Oh, yeah, the weather. Oh, yeah, masks. Oh, yeah, this. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, oh God, send revival on our land. 
and the soil isn't ready yet. But here's the thing. If we get the soil ready, God brings a hundredfold. Oh, but, but Pastor Tom, people won't recognize it. I, it's not up to me when they recognize it. It's up to me to be faithful to get my soil ready. But, you know, I'm, I might be, you, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't look outward. Maybe you don't blame everyone else. Maybe you're like a, a better Christian than me, and you're like, I've already been doing all that. I don't look at other people. I look at other people. I think, oh, man, our church would be better if this person would do that or that person would do this or my family would be better if my wife would be like this or my wife would do that or, you know, th- th- this city would be better if this person would do that or that person would do this. And, and yet, as I've searched this book, I, I just don't see that as my spiritual gift. And so as I've been going through Mark chapter 4, I felt like the Lord just said, you're your problem. work on my soil. I'm going to work on my soil. I want the kingdom to take root in my life. Not just some principles of the kingdom. The kingdom. Pastor, what's that mean? I don't know. I don't know. But today's an invitation. Let's go new. Let's find out. Let's dig. There's some things that can help you. I hope they help you. But let's dig so that the kingdom takes root in our life. His kingdom comes and his will be done. Did you realize that we're supposed to be the answer to that prayer also? Lord, let your kingdom come as your glory rises on us. On us. That's our God. So, Father, help us. Help us to work the soil of our lives. The message of the kingdom is good news. The message of the kingdom is powerful and profound, able to do supernatural things. God, supernatural things like love our enemies, like raise the dead, like just hold my tongue when I want to give people a piece of my mind. That's the supernatural power of your word, your kingdom. And Father, I know there are areas of our lives where Our roots don't go deep enough. We need to be in your word. We need to be in prayer. I know that there are areas of our lives where the busyness of life, even the busyness of ministry, crowds out, chokes out the fruitfulness of the kingdom in our lives. God, I know there's hard areas of our hearts that need to be broken up. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today that not one person in this room would be overwhelmed, that None of us would try to become a hero of spiritual disciplines. But God, that we would take the voice of your spirit and we would, we would hone in on one area today. One area that needs to increase in our lives. God, I, as far as I know, there's no timeline of how quickly we need to work out our salvation. And it's all up to you anyway. But God, show us that one area that as we begin to work that area of soil, it begins to open up other areas. God, where it begins to produce fruit and a harvest. God, I thank you for the harvest that's already taking place. There's so many things that are being done in our lives, in our body. We're seeing that 30-fold harvest already. But God, we want to see the supernatural work that transforms a city, a region, our nation, literally the world. 
And God, we know it's possible because of the power of your kingdom. So help us to cultivate the kind of soil where your, your kingdom can produce hundredfold results. Help us to get our eyes off the results. Just get them on you. Help us to embrace solitude and Sabbath and silence and simplicity. Help us to embrace the memorization of Scripture, studying the Scripture, not just reading it, but meditating on it, copying it. Help us to embrace prayer, praying in the Spirit and corporate prayer. God, journaling in prayer. Help us to embrace generosity, not just as a way of life, but even as a discipline. Submission as a discipline. God, not for the sake of others, but for the sake of breaking up any hard areas of our hearts. God, we want to see your glory rise on this earth. And so Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to hear and help us to understand today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. You have been awesome. Because I know two weeks in a row, row, whoa, two weeks in a row, I went long, and uh, you guys handled it well, and uh, hopefully these nice comfy chairs were good for you. And so thanks for being here, and uh, don't forget to stop by the table in the back for any information for your sign-up sheets. Um, if you want to give, the offering baskets are back there, or you can always give online. And if you brought children with you, please don't forget to take them home. God bless you as you go.